Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series, The Triumph of the Lamb, today with a message entitled, On Eagle's Wings. So turning your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12, verse 13 to 17, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. This year, as I record this sermon, I'll be returning to Israel in order to conduct a tour through the Holy Land. You know, for me personally, this will now be my fifth visit. Kathy and I have booked a week of holidays prior to this very hectic and busy trip, and for our part, we're going to Israel a week early. The Jewish government has reconstructed an ancient trail that runs from Nazareth all the way to Capernaum. It's about 60 kilometers in length, and Kathy and I are going to hike it. We want to meditate and pray and think about the place where our Lord so often walked on his earthly journey. And then, of course, folks who are a part of our extended Back to the Bible family from across Canada will join us as we tour the land which is the birthplace of our faith. You know, one of the things we're going to do, which, which I've done in the past, is to journey to Qumran and visit the caves in which the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1947. And those caves, among so many other things, contained a fully preserved scroll of the book of Isaiah, probably copied around 200 BC. I mean, prior to that discovery, our oldest copy of Isaiah was around 8,800. And so here, by God's grace, was found a scroll which was about 1,000 years older than anything that we have. Now, as we stand before those caves, I'm going to talk about the debt of gratitude that Christians have to the Jewish people. They not only received the revelation from God, but they painstakingly preserved it, often at the cost of their own lives. I, as I have done in the past, want to remind my fellow Gentile Christians that we owe to Israel a debt that can never be repaid. Were it not just for the fact that the revelation came to them, but, but also for the fact that they've safeguarded the revelation from generation to generation, well, without that, it would have been impossible for us to believe anything. That's why the shameful past in which the Middle Ages church persecuted the Jewish people is, is a crime against God. Look, as most of us know, the Jewish people have not been sinless, and they've been highly resistant to the gospel. And furthermore, we must join with the Apostle Paul, who in Romans 9 verse 2 expressed sorrow and unceasing anguish for the lostness of Israel. But that notwithstanding, even so, it is and must be that Israel and the Jewish people are a part of our deep affections. Christians are called upon to love the natural descendants of Israel. See, I say all of this because of the text that we're going to read in Revelation 12, 13 to 17. This passage is a part of a series of seven separate visions that John saw as Jesus communicated them to him, and they're about the nature of the great warfare that's now being waged in the spiritual realms. Because the warfare between the demon and the angels, between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of Jesus, because that warfare exists, that warfare has spilled out onto this earth. So today, we're going to examine the third of those seven visions. And as we will see, this third vision has something to say about both Jews and Christians. But let me not get ahead of myself. Let's read the text. I'm reading Revelation 12, 13 to 17. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. 
But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. You know, up till now, we have been identifying the central players in one vision after another, visions that seem to run together. In the first vision, we saw the vision of the woman and the dragon. We identified the woman with Israel and the dragon with Satan. The child that is born to the woman is the Messiah, and it was the dragon's intention to devour the child the minute it was born. At that time, I pointed out that there are a number of Bible teachers who, while they acknowledge that the woman is Israel, argue that the woman represents the ideal Israel, and that's a wording that they use, and so they'll argue that the woman represents believing Jews in the Old Testament and also believers in the New Testament. They then argue that the woman represents all the people of God through the ages. But you've also heard that I've argued that this simply doesn't fit the data that's there in the vision. The woman gives birth to the Messiah, and in absolutely no sense at all does the New Testament church give birth to the Messiah. Rather, the Messiah gave birth to us. It simply doesn't work to argue that this woman is anything but the nation of Israel, period. You know, in the second vision, we saw that Satan suffered a significant defeat, and that happened during the ministry of Jesus and his great victory on the cross. And in consequence, Satan has been thrown down from heaven and has no more access before the throne room of God and therefore has been forbidden from bringing any accusation against God's people before the throne. And so, as we've seen, he has suffered a significant defeat, a defeat that has enraged him. In consequence, Satan has taken the field of battle to the earth. But that might sound more like theory to us. But in this third vision of spiritual warfare, the book of Revelation shows us practically how the spiritual warfare of the present day is being waged. So verse 13 tells us that Satan now pursues the woman who has given birth. And I wonder if you've ever seen a film footage of a cheetah pursuing a gazelle. You know, whenever you see that, you know it's going to end in one of two ways. The gazelle is either going to escape or it's going to be eaten. I mean, that's the nature of the pursuit. And in this case, the pursuit should be seen in the same way. This is a life or death proposition. Now, I need to stop here and take issue with what I think is an irresponsible approach to the book of Revelation. Because verse 14 tells us the woman is given two wings of an eagle, Some supposed Bible teachers have argued that in the very near future, when Israel is being persecuted, the U.S. will militarily intervene because the eagle is a symbol for the U.S., they say, and uh, this is how they understand the book. Now, the reason I say this is irresponsible is because this view of Revelation seeks to transform the book into a book of science fiction. And so let's all learn and remember a basic lesson from the book of Revelation. Most of the images found in Revelation are rooted in the Old Testament, and this one is no exception. So let's start with Exodus 19, verse 4. 
God is speaking through Moses to Israel. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, please notice, this is a statement about the Exodus. After visiting Egypt with 10 plagues, the last of them being the death of the firstborn, and then God parted the Red Sea and allowed Israel to escape certain death at the hands of the Egyptian army. That's the, that's the pursuit. Then he leads them into the wilderness when Moses describes all of that and he says, God bore Israel on eagles' wings. That's a great image. No, it wasn't to be taken literally. It's symbolic language of being taken from certain death and being delivered. And so when Revelation 12, 14 says, the woman, that's Israel, is given two wings of an eagle, we're supposed to be reminded of God's miraculous deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. But there's also another image here that an astute Bible reader is going to immediately remember. It comes from the prophet Isaiah. He not only predicted that Israel would be taken into Babylonian exile because of her sins, but that she would be brought back from the exile. It's almost like a second exodus delivered from the Babylonian captivity. Now, here's how Isaiah describes this second exodus, and I'm reading Isaiah 40, verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Again, when Israel is delivered from the hands of the enemy, we see the image of mounting with wings like an eagle. And so it seems clear to me from the biblical language that what John is describing in Revelation depicts a satanic hatred of Israel and the Jewish people. Satan hates Israel because this nation is the apple of God's eye. She gave birth to the Messiah, and that Messiah has dealt Satan a devastating defeat. In rage, he sets off to pursue Israel, the mother of the Messiah, and then God himself intervenes in some fashion, and Israel escapes Satan's hand. Now, that immediately leaves us with a question. Is this vision simply describing the long history of anti-Semitism and the reasons for it, or is this vision about an event that's still to occur in the future? That is, when the Great Tribulation arrives and evil is intensified, will there yet be one more great attempt by Satan to destroy the Jewish people? I think the latter, and I'll explain why in the next section. I don't suppose it's difficult to imagine that one of Dr. Neufeld's most popular series is his teaching on the book of Revelation. Dr. Neufeld has taken an expositional approach to this series and the first two volumes, including chapters 1 to 11. Now this month, for the very first time, we air The Triumph of the Lamb, volume 3, teaching chapters 12 to 17. Message titles include The Greatest War in Human History, The Woman and the Dragon, On Eagle's Wings and the Beast. Join us this month for the first airing of Volume 3, and if you'd like the series on CD for your own library, for a limited time we'll be offering all 15 messages of Volume 3 for only $17, and that includes shipping and handling. Volume 1 and 2 are also available, so call us today for yours or to support this Bible teaching ministry with an important financial gift. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Thank you. 
Revelation 12, 14 says, But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. Now that phrase, time, time, and half a time, is, as we've seen in the past, it's a phrase that's borrowed directly from the book of Daniel. Furthermore, if you go back to Revelation 12, verse 6, where we read that the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished, we are told it is for 1,260 days. We noted then that 1,260 days is three and a half years, and that is a time, time, and a half a time. So please also notice that back in Revelation 12, verse 4, we're told that the dragon had a tail that swept a third of the stars from heaven and cast them down to the earth. So let's go back to Daniel chapter 8, verses 9 to 10. Daniel there gives a prophecy which we come to realize is a prophecy about the coming of a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. You know, in time, that is after Daniel, between 175 and 164 BC, a Syrian leader named Antiochus invaded Israel and he utterly desecrated the Jewish temple. But he did more. He executed, even crucified thousands of Jews. When Daniel predicts that event and the killing of the Jews, Daniel 8 verse 10 says that he threw some of the stars to the ground and trampled on them. And so it seems that What we have in the book of Revelation is an event at the end of the tribulation, three and a half years, in which Satan will inspire the killing of many Jews, but God is going to intervene, protect his people, and provide for them a place of safety on eagles' wings. You know, it does no good to speculate how that's going to happen. We're simply not told, and I, for one, think that speculation about these things has done so much damage to a proper interpretation of Revelation. What Revelation is interested in telling us is that the hatred of Israel by Satan will be so great that at the end of the age, he will seek to completely destroy the Jews, but God will, as he's done in the past, save them on eagles' wings. Now then, to Revelation 12, 15 and 16. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Now, since we already know that the imagery that's found in this vision is borrowed directly from the book of Exodus, we might remember here Pharaoh's plan to drown all the boys in the Nile. With that in mind, listen to the words recorded in Ezekiel 29 verse 3. It says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great dragon that lies in the midst of his streams that says, My Nile is my own, I made it for myself. Now here we get a sense that that Pharaoh believed that he owned the Nile, that he could use it to his advantage any time he wanted to. I mean, what a shock it must have been to him when in the first plague the Nile turns to blood. But all of this gives us an insight. Satan, who believes he can control the flood, seeks to sweep Israel away. But the earth opens its mouth and swallows the river. Again, we go back to what we know of the Exodus event. In number 16, we're told of an incident often now called Korah's Rebellion. Korah was a priest in Israel who stood opposed to Moses and who argued that that Moses' leadership should be toppled. Number 16 says that God caused a miracle to occur the earth actually opened up and swallowed up Korah and those who rebelled with him. 
So in the same fashion, in the future, I think this vision tells us that when Satan seeks to destroy Israel at the end of the age, God, as he's done in the past so many times and in so many ways, is simply going to intervene and save his people. All the imagery that's used here recounts God's deliverance in the past, and it assures us that God has not lost his power, that he will deliver the physical descendants of Abraham one more time in the future. But just when you think that in some way, the book of Revelation has just now turned its attention away from the church to Israel, we come right back to the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ. You see, Revelation 12, 17 says, Then the dragon became furious with a woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. See, before we consider the details, would you notice that a part of this statement that claims that the church, the saints, the people who hold the testimony of Jesus, those who keep the commands of God, that these people are the offspring of the woman. Now, at the risk of repeating myself, here again we see evidence that the woman is not the church. Rather, the church is represented as the offspring of the woman. And at the risk of doubly repeating myself, I again repeat that it will forever be an eternal debt that we, the church, have to Israel. That were it not for Israel, we, Gentile followers of Jesus, would have no faith. So while it's true that Israel sinned against God and constantly flirted with idolatry and fell into false doctrines of works righteousness and then finally rejected her king. But in Romans 11, recognizing the rebellion of Israel, Paul will write, and I'm reading Romans 11 verse 1, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. And then Paul will make the argument that has always been true, that only a remnant of Israel was ever saved. The majority were always unregenerate. But then, as Paul makes his way through the difficult problem of Israel's rebellion, Paul makes an amazing statement. I'm reading verse 28. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. Now, of course, there's so much in that one little sentence. When Israel rebelled against the gospel, it forced the apostles out of Jerusalem. They began to share the gospel with the Gentiles. Israel's rebellion, says Paul, brought the gospel to the Gentiles, that is, to you and I. But, says Paul, as regards to election, that is, in regard to the eternal plan of God, they are beloved. Indeed, just a few verses earlier, Paul has stated that a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the full number of the Gentiles comes in, and then he promises that all Israel will be saved. Now, as to when that happens, I'm going to leave that question for a future study here in Revelation, but I lay it out there so that you don't forget what God has yet promised to the natural descendants of Abraham. And for all of these reasons— that they are the chosen of God, that the Messiah came from them, that God's eternal purposes towards them will not end. For all of these reasons, the dragon hates them and he seeks to destroy them. And when he sees that he can't do it, he turns in fury on the church of Jesus. In short, this passage teaches that those who are faithful to Jesus are not spared from the hour of persecution. As Jesus told the faithful church in Smyrna, a church that was suffering extreme poverty and tribulation, he said, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. 
See, being faithful unto death surely includes the two descriptive statements that are made of the church in verse 17. See, first, the true church of Jesus is known as those who keep the commandments of God. The people of God prefer Jesus over everything else, over money, over sex, over pride, over slander, and over lording it over others. The true church of Jesus submits to Christ regardless of the cost. You know, the second descriptor of the true church is that the church holds the testimony of Jesus. That is, they are those who faithfully proclaim Jesus, even while doing so invites persecution. Listen again to Revelation 12, 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives unto death. That is, the great victory of God's people is that we can't be threatened with death, for we count on the resurrection of Jesus. You know, Revelation 12 ends with the words, and he stood on the sand of the sea. You know, the third vision ends with a bee standing on a seashore. And in chapter 13, as the visions of spiritual warfare continue, a beast arises out of the sea. That is, he arises out of the nations of the human family. It's a depiction of the Antichrist. Now, it may be true that God protects natural Israel, and it may be true that his church continues to love Christ unto death. But John ends this chapter with a warning. The dragon that is the devil has not given up the fight. If he can't destroy either the natural descendants of Israel nor the people of God, he still has other weapons in his arsenal. He will turn the entire earth into a den of seething rebellion against Christ. Surely, he reasons, I may have been thrown down from heaven, but I will not give up this earth. What then is our response to these visions? Is it not this? God knows not just how to protect his people. He also knows how to give his people victory in the fight. The God who saved Israel from Pharaoh will also save you. John, let me ask you a quick question. There really is peril, don't you think, in making the the book of Revelation into a sci-fi movie? Yeah. I know, Ben, and, and that's what I did mention here. And I, and I think we need to restate this. Revelation is this amazing book that takes images from the entirety of Scripture, and it brings them all together into this remarkable and amazing finale, and it brings everything together. Now, when we take the science fiction view, that is say, you know, what does the eagle stand for in our contemporary world? What we've done then to Revelation, we have forbidden it from doing what it's supposed to do bring together the entire revelation of God. So let's find the images in Revelation in the rest of Scripture and let those images then inform what we're reading when we read Revelation. That's the correct way to read the book. Thanks, John. That's a great word. Remember to join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Celebrate 60 years of Back to the Bible Canada in 2018. 60 years of ministry possible because of your prayers and support. In celebration, we'll be announcing special events, activities, and resources throughout 2018, including our 60th anniversary CD series featuring founder Theodore Epp and Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld. This is our commemorative gift to you for free. Just ask. Other upcoming events include a weekend of celebration in Tabor, Alberta, March 23rd to the 25th with Dr. John Newfeld, Phil Calloway, and the Weebs. 
More events will be announced soon. Keep up to date by visiting our events page at backtothebible.ca. Thanks for making 60 years possible. And thank you for continuing to support this Bible teaching ministry. For more information about all the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, or to make a donation, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.